Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio version of my show, Rebel Roundup, where we cover the hottest Rebel stories of the week. Today, my guests are Sheila Gunn-Reed and Ezra Levent. If you like the podcast, then you should become a premium content subscriber. That gets you access to the video version of my show, as well as shows from Ezra Levent and Sheila Gunn-Reed. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, and as a special bonus for you, we're offering a 10% discount if you use the coupon code PODCAST. Just go to therebel.media slash shows to become a member. Thank you for listening, and now, enjoy the show. You're listening to a Rebel Media Podcast. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Alberta's election bureaucracy is going to war with our own Sheila Gunn-Reed, investigating her for practicing freedom of expression. Oh yeah, Sheila will explain why Wild Rose Country is suddenly looking like a tin pot dictatorship. And if you think we're exaggerating, just will you hear the nitty gritty details. Ezra Levant is back from the UK where he recently met up with Tommy Robinson who is residing in solitary confinement at a maximum security prison until mid-September. Ezra will give us the good, the bad and the ugly regarding Tommy's current incarceration and you won't want to miss that. And finally, letters, we get your letters, we get your letters every minute of every day and I'll share some of your responses regarding Kathy Zhu, aka the former Miss Michigan who was recently stripped of her crown. Her crime? Well, she likes to espouse conservative viewpoints. Those are your rebels, now let's round them up. Back in April, we received a letter from Alberta's elections commissioner. That entire bureaucracy is a recent creation of the NDP and it was weaponized against not least conservative critics. They have come after us about billboards critical of the NDP on two separate occasions in the past, and they lost. This new threat letter in April came from the elections commissioner, Lauren Gibson, and it was addressed to me, but it was sent to our Toronto office. So the Alberta election was over. Jason Kenney was the new premier, but Notley's hand-picked enforcer was still on the job, and he still is today. He said he was opening an investigation after complaints about lawn signs promoting my best-selling book. Here's part of his letter. We will be seeking your answers to a number of questions, including the following. What was the basis upon which you determined the selling price of the Stop Notley book? What was the date you began to make this book available to the public? Was the availability of the Stop Notley book to the public time to occur with the 2019 provincial election campaign or was the book planned to be made available to the public regardless of whether there was an election or not? What is the estimated cost of the Stop Notley advertising book promotion campaign? What is the contact information for the company that published the Stop Notley book and the company that designed, produced and distributed the Stop Notley signs? Gibson said he would be contacting me for an interview or to put it another way, I'd be interrogated by the government about a book I wrote about the government. Now, his letter didn't even tell me 
Who's under investigation or for what? Is it me or the publisher of my book? Who's in trouble here? Is it for the book or the lawn signs promoting the book? And really, it doesn't matter anyway, or it shouldn't, because we have a free press in Canada. And here is the elections law that specifically exempts books. Section 44D2 reads, Elections advertising does not include the distribution of a book or the promotion of the sale of a book for no less than its commercial value if the book was planned to be made available to the public regardless of whether there was to be an election. Well, I'm sure Sheila Gunn-Reed is feeling somewhat confused these days in terms of where she's residing. Oh, sure, officially she lives in the province of Alberta, but given the outrageous and egregious actions of Alberta's election commissioner, Wild Rose Country certainly resembles the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. And with more on Alberta's journalistic jihad against one reporter is our very own Sheila herself. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Sheila. Hey, David. Thanks for having me on. It's such a pleasure, and this is such an important story. And I urge all our viewers to watch your full video because the overreach here by the Alberta bureaucracy is downright chilling. But Sheila, the key question remains, what exactly are you being investigated for in the first place? I still don't really know. The initial uh, information and the initial contact we had from the elections commissioner is that they were opening an investigation due to complaints about the stopnotly.com lawn signs. Those were beautiful lawn signs, a very successful guerrilla marketing campaign. 5,000 of them <laughs> blanketed the province. Um, but as it turns out, that really, it, they really weren't asking questions about the lawn signs. The lawn signs were a marketing campaign by my publisher. Um, but all their questions seemed to be focused um, about the book when we started planning the book um, and they wanted the internal emails and all my documents about when we were planning to publish the book and when I started writing the book, um, which like you point out is not something that governments should be doing in free countries where there's a free press and free speech. It's a complete government overreach um, that this bureaucracy that was created by Rachel Notley is and weaponized against her conservative critics, not just us, but also, you know, our friends at Alberta can't wait. They've this bureaucracy has had a sole focus since its inception on targeting conservatives who spoke truth to power about Rachel Notley. And even though the conservatives are in power now, the Rachel Notley's appointees, her swamp is still deeply entrenched in government and still doing her bidding. You know, and we got to point out here, Sheila, yes, we do have uh, freedom of expression and freedom of the press, but you can publish a book and people can come after you legally for things like libel, defamation. But as far as I know, those benchmarks aren't met with this case. This is a government, a former government, really. I think this is the unspoken story here. Um, coming after you, not for legitimate claims of libel or defamation, but because uh, Rachel Notley had her feelings hurt. Uh, she was embarrassed by you, rightly so, on so many occasions. But I'm sorry, that, that's no reason 
to have her sick her uh, attack dogs on you. And it, I think this falls under abuse of process, Sheila. Well, it absolutely does. I mean, the actions of the elections commissioner really are unconstitutional. Uh, imagine demanding it, internal emails from a journalist and author about why they published a book that is critical of the government of the day. As Ezra would say, because it's my bloody well right to do so. Um, it's, it really is an abuse of power. It's an overreach and a wholly inappropriate how this investigation has been conducted so far. The investigator, who I don't know if he realized that I was recording our conversations, but I'm a journalist. <laughs> and so I record a lot of uh, conversations. I guess it just goes to uh, prove that I actually am a journalist and not some third party advertiser. But uh, he knows I have a lawyer. He knows my lawyer's name, uh, my lawyer's contact information, but he insists on contacting me directly and he insists on doing much of our communication informally through phone calls, despite the fact that I first reached out to the investigator in an email with a series of questions that I wanted answers. Now, those were never um, really answered. Everything is very vague. But again, the, it's very inappropriate for the investigator to continue to contact me, despite the fact that he knows full well I have a lawyer, except for the fact that, you know, he maybe he thinks I'm stupid and he's trying to trip me up. But I think he just found out the hard way that I'm not. Well, you know, you're absolutely right, uh, Sheila. The, the, the fact that he's not putting these questions to you in writing, the fact that he's not going through legal channels, because this is a legal matter right now, um, this smacks of unprofessionalism. Now, of course, you recorded the calls. I'm, I'm wondering, I'm pretty sure he was probably recording the calls, and that is probably the method to his madness. He's coming across as, you know, very casual, like he's having a, you know, a chat at a Tim Hortons with you, and he's hoping you are going to say something to trip yourself up. Um, so far, you haven't given him uh, such a gift. But this guy, Ken Brander, Sheila, um, he is an ex-cop who literally has blood on his hands, who is now acting as the moral authority of Alberta. What can you tell our viewers here uh, uh, about uh, Mr. Brander's career uh, when he was a police officer in Edmonton? Well, you know, Ezra has done some pretty deep digging into Ken Brander. Um, it's been a little difficult for me to do much of that deep digging because I'm just so consumed with, you know, the free speech issues at hand. But Ken Brander in the early 2000s, he was involved in a high speed crash um, in his police car. It was an unmarked police car. He did not have his sirens and lights on and he hit uh, a civilian vehicle, a family um, the instantly killing, from what it sounds like, one young little boy. And when the car burst into flames because the gas tank exploded, the little boy's brother uh, lost his hands in the fire and his mother was very severely injured. Um, the judge in the criminal negligence hearing for Ken Brander, um, he wasn't found guilty of criminal negligence, but the judge did say that he was negligent um, for the way he was involved in that uh, high-speed chase that day. And ultimately, it sounds like the city of Edmonton paid $5 million to clean up the catastrophe that Ken Brander made that day. And yet, this is the man who's out there deciding what constitutional rights I have as a journalist in Canada. 
It's absolutely despicable, and uh, I, I think Ezra on his show last night said you'd, you'd think somebody would um, uh, walk away, almost to become a monk, and to reflect yeah. on. And, and, and by the way, that's just one incident. We don't have time to get into uh, other so shooting incidents and killings. Um, but uh, my goodness, uh, like you said, for the chutzpah here that this guy who literally has blood on his hands is suddenly uh, Alberta's electoral uh, moral authority is absolutely appalling, Sheila. And, and Sheila, I wanted to say something else. Um, anyone that I've spoken to about this case, they can't believe how egregious it is. They can't believe um, the fishing expedition that this individual and this office is going, uh, going on. And everyone is confident that we're going to win, as am I. But here's the thing, Sheila. We're already up to $48,000 in legal fees. Yeah. And it's one of these uh, situations, Sheila, where the process is indeed the penalty. So for these guys, win, lose, or draw, they really don't care. It's the fact that they are trying to drain us of cash. Uh, that's their victory. I, I think this is appalling, and, and, and this is what makes me even question the system to begin with. You know, I was talking to a friend this morning about this, and she told me that uh, the elections commissioner has nine different investigators um, working constantly <laughs> to censor Albertans with regard to their political opinions during elections period. But, uh, I mean, it, I don't know what would become of me if I didn't have the rebel standing behind me during this. Uh, there's no way that I would ever ask my family to foot a $48,000 bill while I fight for free speech. And Ezra has said that, you know, if they find me, the rebel will indemnify me. But as Ezra also rightly points out, it isn't really the rebel, it's all of our supporters at home. And, uh, you know, over the last, I guess it's 24 hours now, um, just the, um, the sheer outpouring of support and encouragement that I've received online and, you know, in personal messages, uh, it's been overwhelming. Uh, it's actually made me a little emotional. And just uh, hearing how the work that we do here at The Rebel has affected people's lives. Um, I received a message from someone who said um, two days before Christmas, there was a truck convoy rally up in uh, Bonneville, Alberta, so two hours northeast of where I live, and uh, it was minus 20. Nobody came from the mainstream media, but I drove up, and, uh, you know, he said that, you know, uh, it, we fight for these people every single day. For me, I'm, I'm doing my job, but there is some level of self-interest, too. Look, my husband's in the oil patch. He's in oil field transportation. I'm a farmer, so I'm, you know, I'm advocating for my family. But you don't really realize how the stories you do matter to the people who are at home hearing them. When they are alone, we're out there fighting for them. And, you know, I, I've heard from a lot of people say now it's their time to help me out. And I'm just so unbelievably grateful for all of that. And I'm happy to hear that from the grassroots. But two things you said there, Sheila, the support and the mainstream media. Um, where is the mainstream media support for you, for us in this fight? Now, I grant it, uh, many are indifferent to us. Some actually hate us. That's not the point. 
The point here is the principle of freedom of speech, of freedom of expression, of having a free press and a Western democracy that is being violated by these election commission thugs that are going after you. You would think that there would be a scintilla of morality and ethics in terms about the in terms of the craft of journalism, in terms of standing up for this cornerstone of, free, uh, of a Western democracy. If you don't have free speech, you've got nothing. Have any, has anyone come forward, uh, Sheila, anyone at the Edmonton Journal, which back in the 1930s won a Pulitzer Prize, of course, um, for going after the Eberhardt government on, on a free speech issue, where are our allies, or at least, um, friendly enemies, if you want to call them that, in terms of going to bat for you on this issue? You know, I'm not seeing a lot of it. I'm seeing support from conservative activists, conservative journalists like Mark Milkey. I've had some uh, outlets reach out to me um, for an interview um, in the mainstream media, but, you know, I'm a little skeptical of those outlets considering how they've covered the issue of our billboards and our signs in the past. Um, but they're, you know, they're wanting to cover the story, um, not from, you know, a free speech battle perspective, not from a journalism freedom perspective. They want to do it as, oh, you're the rebels in trouble again. Look at those bad guys. Um, I'm not seeing really any support from anybody on the left in the mainstream media, and I'm probably repeating myself there because the left and the mainstream media are so um, intertwined, but I'm not really seeing it. And it's pretty evident, um, at least in the last 24 hours, that a lot of journalists out there hate me, hate my boss, hate the work we do here at The Rebel more than they like the principles that protect the craft they do. And it's a sad state of affairs. Well, Sheila, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, they're coming for us today. What these self-serving journalists, these uh, increasingly uh, Trudeau-paid state stenographers should realize, how long will it be before they slip up and the state comes for them? And, of course, we know across the pond, Tommy Robinson currently doing 66 days for practicing the craft of citizen journalism. Uh, This is uh, an all-out war on freedom, and I hope that there are people out there that based on principle, not not just because it's a rebel, but just on the principle of the craft, they're gonna come to your defense and our defense on this. Anyways, we're gonna fight this, Sheila, and uh, you are one of the the bravest ladies I know out there. I know uh, you'll get through this 100%, and uh, thank you so much for joining me on Rebel Roundup today. Thanks, David. And if anybody wants to help support me in my legal battle, like you pointed out, we've already accrued nearly $50,000 in legal fees. And we're just in the beginning of this fight. And I'm sure I've got fines coming my way now that I've gone public. They can do that at SaveSheila.com. And there they can see my full 20-minute video where I lay out all my evidence. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sheila. And please, folks, if you have anything to spare, go to SaveSheila.com. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. car ride to tell you about my prison visit with Tommy Robinson. He, as you know, was sentenced for contempt of court to a nine-month prison term, and this is on top of the time he's already served. Now, some of that time served will be deducted from this sentence, so he'll wind up 
being freed from prison in mid-September, but he has been put in the harshest, most maximum security in London for a non-criminal offense of contempt of court. By the way, no British journalist has been imprisoned for contempt of court in nearly a century. So the reason I came to visit Tommy is not just because it's a good thing to do to visit someone in prison, but because I was deeply concerned that the prison authorities would abuse Tommy in the same manner that they had abused him at the prison he was in uh, last year, HMP only. Uh, elements of that abuse include putting him in a small box, solitary confinement, with no human contact for 23 and a half hours a day, no television, um, and then the half hour a day he was let out, he was screamed at by some of the Muslim prison gangs that were wishing him death. He actually had death threats hand-delivered to his cell door, uh, very specific death threats. It was not just physical abuse, but the psychological abuse, abuse of 10 weeks in solitary confinement, which is illegal, by the way. And finally, there was the starvation element, because Tommy's food was marked Stephen Yaxley-Lennon and hand-delivered to his cell, the Muslim prison gangs that prepared it could tamper with his food in a way they couldn't tamper with food in the cafeteria-style lines. So there were various elements of his torture last time. And I use that word um, on purpose because it is psychological and physical torture. Well, when it comes to Tommy Robinson's current incarceration, first the good news, unlike his last prison stay, Tommy doesn't believe his food is being tampered with, so he is indeed eating and won't be losing those 40 pounds this time around, I should think. And although he's in solitary confinement, at least he does have a TV. As well, Tommy has access to a gym and he gets to wear his own clothing as opposed to prison stripes. Now the bad news, he's in a maximum security prison. And even worse, he's in prison for committing no real crime. And with more on the Tommy Robinson saga is our very own rebel commander, Ezra Levant, who recently visited Mr. Robinson in the UK simply to see if Tommy was being treated well and also to remind the prison authorities that they too are being watched. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Ezra. So uh, first of all, Ezra, let's um, get that ridiculous piece of fake news out of the way that was reported in the Daily Star where allegedly a 70-year-old prisoner had slugged uh, Tommy Robinson while the showers, and this was picked up by other media, and it seems to be a fantasy. Yeah, I saw that news that Tommy Robinson was pummeled in the shower by, <laughs> and by a 70-year-old guy, they really <laughs> emphasized that. And they also said he came into prison strutting like a peacock, and people of all races insulted him. And I thought, this is a really weird story. It's it's too perfect. It's too on the nose. Tommy's not as tough as he thinks. Tommy was taken down by a 70-year-old in the shower. How embarrassing. People of all races unite and condemning Tommy. I just thought, that's too on the nose. But more than that, I thought, I heard, I saw that before I visited Tommy in prison. Mm -hmm. I thought, I'm skeptical because I don't, you know, I, I, I heard that Tommy was in some sort of special handling or seclusion, and I, it just didn't ring true, but I held my skepticism until I met the lad um, on Tuesday, and it is a complete fabrication and complete literal definition of fake news. Tommy Robinson is in a special prison within a prison. Yeah. Belmarsh Prison is one of the most serious prisons in the UK. It was there, Guantanamo Bay, where they held non-enemy um, um, uh, illegal uh, combatants. Um, 
unlawful enemy combatants as that's the special phrase for terrorists. That's, that was really the ISIS prison in London. So it was ultra high security. And they have a special unit. It's like a prison within a prison where there are only three prisoners in the whole place. Tommy Robinson, Julian Assange, and then some murderer that I don't know anything about. And, and these three men do not see each other ever. No other prisoner sees them. They see no other prisoner. Tommy is completely alone there other than his interactions with the guards. Um, so it, it is a form of solitary confinement in that he sees no, he's not allowed to see any of the prisoners. Now he can holler up to a window and Julian Assange hollers back down. He told me that's the only communication he's had. When he was brought into prison, he was not brought through the general population. He's under enormous observation. The prison warden himself visits him once a day. That's incredible. A, a doctor or nurse visits him once a day. When they move him from his cell, where he's got a TV, um, to, uh, and a kettle and things like that, to the exercise bike, to the gym, to the showers, to the, to the yard, two guards are there for every move. Like it's so, it's such an unusual place. They're used to handling, I don't know, like a Saddam Hussein or something. Right. Uh, he has not seen a single other person other than the guards since arriving there. So the idea that he would be in a shower with other prisoners without guard, it's just lie upon lie upon lie. And that was the front page of a newspaper called the Daily Star and the Mirror picked it up and everyone picked it up. 100% false. It would be as false as saying, Queen Elizabeth secretly visited Tommy Robinson in prison. <laughs> That's actually more possible yeah. than the Tommy Robinson was beat up by a 70 year old pensioner in the shower. And I have yet to see a correction, clarification, retraction, let alone an apology. And I should tell you that if you think the Canadian media is bad, the British media is worse. It's astounding. And I, I can't believe, you know, I'd love to know how that news item got uh, generated in the first place. But, but that's kind of a sidebar issue. This maximum security prison, Ezra, what I don't understand is that even if you despise Tommy Robinson, the idea that he is being kept there, he's not a dangerous offender. He's not an enemy of the state. Uh, he's not some kind of a homicidal maniac. Why in the world, I mean, if anyone would really qualify for some you know, minimal security prison, kind of like the townhouse uh, prisons that we have in uh, Canada for uh, you know, white collar offenders, it would be Tommy Robinson. Why is he even there in the first place? Well, that's what's so crazy. No journalist since the 1940s has been sent to prison for contempt of court. I've read probably 100 British contempt of court cases. There's, there's actually a great government of the UK website just with contempt of court cases. It's, it's quite easy to read them all. Um, typically, in a contempt of court case with a journalist, there's just a warning, don't do it, stop doing it. And at most, the media company pays a fine, maybe 20,000 pounds. Um, they just don't imprison journalists for contempt of court. It's just not done. But, of course, there's not a rule of law in the UK anymore. There's, some people are above the law. Some people are below the law. Tommy Robinson is below the law. He doesn't have access to the law. Um, I was in his court on his, for his sentencing hearing. And it is a fact that the trial outside of which he was giving his political commentary, that trial successfully concluded. All the men were convicted, no, no appeals were upheld. So we know for a fact, it's not a matter of speculation or opinion, Tommy Robinson did not disrupt a trial. Yeah. He didn't. So where's the contempt of court? Why would they prosecute him 14 months later? Well, according to the Attorney General, by asking the accused rapists as they walked into court on Judgment Day, by asking them, quote, 
how do you feel about your verdict today, unquote. By saying those words, that prejudiced and impeded the course of justice and is deserving of a nine-month sentence. Not only it, did, it, did it not, <laughs> but it's absurd. And one of the things Tommy's lawyers did in court was play a video of Tommy walking into that courthouse and journalists asking him those precise questions or more. So why aren't they locked up? Well, and that's my point. The, the, <laughs> just as no other journalist has been imprisoned in the UK for contempt in nearly a century, um, no other journalist today in the UK is being imprisoned for doing the same thing that, that Tommy did. It's, it's very unfortunate, and I've said this a hundred times, and I'll probably keep saying it until it's not true anymore. When I go to the United Kingdom, I feel like I'm in a dystopian time machine. Yeah. I see a dark future of what we will become if we don't change our course. And sometimes people in Canada say, why are you going over there? Why are you wasting time? Well, I don't think it's a waste in time. I think it's very interesting, not just for our British viewers, but for people around the world who, are, who want to see the way censorship is going. If you had a crystal ball or a time machine, if you had the powers of prophecy to see what's coming down the road in five years, would you not at least contemplate them? I believe that observing the UK, which is very similar to us in law and politics and history, more than any other country, perhaps other than the United States, it's similar to us. Would you not want to have the cautionary lessons from there? And that's what I take back from my observations of Tommy Robinson. I have a personal friendship with him, but that is not what drives me. It's not even the injustice that he suffers that drives me. It's seeing our future and trying to stop it. And, and, you know, and it's worth fighting for. As I mean, I was at the uh, PPC event earlier this week, and uh, Dr. Salim Mansour uh, said words to the effect that freedom of speech is the very bedrock of a Western uh, free society. Uh, once that is lost, um, you don't have that society anymore. And, and, and that is what we're seeing in the UK, what you've personally seen over there. And you've said, I think, uh, previously that maybe we're, what, five to ten years behind that curve here in Canada, that it's coming here. And you can see it coming here with things like, you know, M103 uh, with uh, trying to get uh, Section 13 put back into the Canadian Human Rights Act. There are attacks on our freedom of speech and expression almost on a monthly basis. Oh, yeah. And... Because there is so little coverage of it, yeah. you have to be really attentive to it to see it happening. An ordinary person who doesn't follow politics closely would never know about it. You have to be extremely online to detect it. You have to be really looking hard. For, I mean, for example, um, to bring back Section 13 of the Canadian Human Rights Act, that's the Internet Censorship Provision, yeah. the Liberals are completely for it. Yeah. The Conservative Party of Canada, led by Andrew Scheer, they say they're against it, but I had to dig to find that. They, they filed a piece of paper with the parliamentary committee. In that piece of paper, they said they're against it, but they have not given a speech about it, a press release about it, a tweet about it, a public comment about it. So there is no opposition to it, nothing vocal. And I believe that we will slip unwittingly, accidentally, inertially towards censorship and that therefore it's our job to raise the alarm. And the mythical character Cassandra, who was cursed with the, the double-edged sword, the power of prophecy, but the curse that no one would believe her. That is a terrible, I think that's Cassandra, I think that's who that was in mythology. What a terrible, terrible place to be, to know the future. It's like you see 
a car crash coming in slow motion, and you shout to people, put on the brakes, put on the brakes, put on the brakes, but no one believes you, no one believes you, no one believes you. What a terrible place to be. It is my hope that either my prophecy comes to be disproven, that we don't go that way, or that someone hears us. But right now I am worried, and I see in Canada many streams of censorship that are now confluent. And these little streams are turning into a river. And I think in the next 90 days, as we head into the Canadian federal election, we will see this censorship come, and it will be as powerful as the Amazon. Chilling times indeed, Ezra. Thank you so much for going over there and uh, giving uh, Tommy Robinson some moral support and also sending that message to the prison authorities that they are being watched. And, you know, folks, I know Ezra, uh, he won't be able to resist going back there before mid-September when Tommy is released. So uh, keep it tuned here for further updates. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. According to the Detroit Free Press, Zhu, who is a University of Michigan student, was dismissed last Thursday as a Miss World America pageant participant when that organization described the content of old social media postings as being, quote, offensive, insensitive, and inappropriate, end quote. Gracious, that sounds serious. What did this 20-year-old do? Champion the manifesto of the Ku Klux Klan? Well, hardly. One of her supposedly shocking social media postings, which dates back more than a year ago, by the way, pertained to an encounter she had on campus. The Muslim Student Association had a booth celebrating World Hijab Day, and when Zhu was asked to don a hijab, she declined. She later tweeted, quote, there is a try a hijab on booth at my college campus, so you're telling me that it's now just a fashion accessory and not a religious thing? Or are you just trying to get women used to being oppressed under Islam? End quote. Zhu told the free press that, quote, I said that it, the hijab, was getting women used to being oppressed because there are so many women in Middle Eastern countries that are being punished and stoned for refusing to wear a hijab Nobody is talking about that in the West, end quote. And she's right. But apparently refusing to wear a hijab on World Hijab Day is downright Islamophobic. Well, the spineless cowards running the Miss World America competition recently dethroned Kathy Zhu, a.k.a. Miss Michigan, for speaking honestly and openly about World Hijab Day. That's apparently not allowed especially if the thoughts being espoused are conservative in nature. In any event, here's what you had to say about Zhu being dethroned for a thought crime. Jack Ralph writes, Remind me who created World Hijab Day. I think I missed the vote. Well, World Hijab Day was created by Nazma Khan in 2013. I don't think there was a vote. Voting isn't a big deal when it comes to living under Sharia law, after all. But you gotta wonder, in the department of in for a penny, in for a pound, why didn't Miss Khan go all in and proclaim February 1st as World Burqa Day? Watch my videos, writes, facts are racist. Welcome to 2019. Hey, wait a minute, what do you mean 2019? That time period is such a Christian concept. 
please be more inclusive and culturally sensitive when you state the date next time, okay? What year is it? B. Henry writes, she did absolutely nothing wrong. In fact, she should be applauded for telling the truth. No, 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 B. Henry. Didn't you get the memo? Applauding is now considered politically incorrect at an increasing number of institutions, given that hand clapping might trigger anxiety amongst those who comprise the ranks of Generation Snowflake. Students instead are encouraged to use jazz hands. Jazz. Do you know what jazz hands are? Oh, I know what you jazz looked it up, didn't you? I didn't you look it up. I've known about jazz hands for a long, long okay. time. Jazz hands, it goes back to the time of Al Jolson. That's jazz hands. Your hands above the head, sparkling, 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 okay? You know, isn't this the head of the political correctness snake eating its tail? No more clapping, so let's use hand gestures, most associated with a guy who made a career out of donning blackface. Oh, mammy. Me now writes, she's too good looking and smart to be a leftist. Hey, and for that matter, me now, she's presumably too smart to be a beauty pageant contestant as well. I think the beauty biz likes some gorgeous on the outside, but dim-witted on the inside, lest someone say something politically incorrect. So it is that Kathy Zhu is beauty contestant non grata, but Miss Teen South Carolina 2007? Oh, she's perfect. Recent polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps and uh, I believe that our ed education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere like such as, and I believe that they should, uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries so we will be able to build up our future for our children. Thank you very much, South Carolina. By the way, why were the U.S. Americans in the audience actually applauding her, such as? Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, Without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.